0: If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Through the years I have preached on this scripture numerous times and it's still just amazing to me how that I can think I know what a passage of scripture says and understand it and then all of a sudden you read a passage of scripture and God opens it. Today, when I was reading about receiving the kingdom of God as a child, the whole understanding of that because of just recent studies that I've were doing and what God is saying. Aren't you glad you understand God's alive and His Word still is alive to us? You know, if if you think God's word isn't alive, then everything just becomes historical, and it's a fixed thing that's behind you, and and the name over your door of what you believe tells you where your revelation stopped. God's still talking to us and walking with us, and it's an amazing thing. It's just exciting, and it's just been a great. It's a great season to be in right now, where he's he's revealing things from his word. And so as I as I begin to to see this, I, I I really felt convicted as I read through this and begin to understand that. We've usually heard this passage of scripture that I'm going to read from a negative sense, and we've embarked on it or talked about it in a negative sense. When uh, somebody does something that we don't think they should do, we look at them and say, You're going to reap what you sow. Am I right? So what we do. When they, and and we, we, it's amazing that we do it in a negative sense. We're not intending to harm or danger but I'm just saying I've seen it used that way and had it used that way and thought about it in those in that scenario for a, a, a lot of times. I believe as long as the earth remains there'll be seed time and harvest. I believe in sowing and reaping and I believe what a man sows he will reap. But we have not always reaped everything we've sowed. I had I, if I got everything that I needed coming to me, I'd be terrible, bad shape. God's a good God, Amen. He's 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 wonderful. I'm just and I praise God that I haven't reaped everything negatively that I've done, and, and I'm very thankful that this scripture, and you'll see here uh, as I read it, and I'm going to read verses six through ten. It says, Let him who is taught the word, that's you, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I'll talk about that in a little minute, but you're the one who's taught the word. I'm the primary one who teaches. Other teach, but we're to share. And then he goes into this statement in verse seven, and this is the context do not be deceived. God is not mocked, whatever, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now watch. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, say sows to the Spirit, He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Look at somebody and say, you're of the household of faith. Therefore, say this, therefore, I'm going to do you good. I want you to do me good. Now, the beginning verse here, verse 6, this scripture is really dealing with the giving of finances. Let those who are taught the word share, and this is specifically, definitely, a sharing of financial blessings is what this is talking about, but it says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. What this is literally teaching and saying is the scriptures dealing with the giving of finances to those who communicate the word to us. I don't have time to go into it, but I think that I'm a pretty uh, good understanding and knowledge that tithes are for salaries, offerings are for other things, but tithes are those in ministry to provide for those who minister and to do those kinds of things. And, and I could go on about that and, and what we have in, in the building and the house of God. Now, clearly, in this passage, to try to set, uh, get a setting for this. The Old Testament is sowing to the flesh, if I could say it that way. And the New Testament is a sowing to the spirit. In the Old Testament, Levi was commanded to take tithes of the people. In the New Testament, the priesthood of Melchizedek, and I don't have time to teach it, but there's a good book out if you need to read it. Called the Melchizedek Key, written by a pastor in Lewisburg, West Virginia, by the name of Stu Farley, who can teach you about that. People say tithing isn't New Testament. Well, you'd have to get yourself and stick your head in a hole to not understand if the ministry of Jesus Christ is patterned after the order of Melchizedek. And the only two things that Melchizedek did was he paid, he brought out bread and wine. For the king of Salem, which we believe was Jesus, and he paid his tithes. That's the only two things. Nobody has a problem understanding that bread and wine's New Testament, and he made it clear that Jesus is patterned, his whole earthly ministry is patterned after the order of Melchizedek. So it's a New Testament principle that we understand that's by the Spirit. Listen to me, tithing is not a law, it's a hard issue. It's about you and your heart and what you give your time and energy to to manifest and to build whether you're going to honor God and recognize God in it or not. And that's what he's talking about in this. The priesthood of Melchizedek brings forth bread and wine and which symbolizes the new covenant where he receives tithes of the people. Now let me make sure you understand this. The Old Testament Levi priesthood took tithes from the people. The New Testament priesthood, we do not take your tithes. It's totally up to you. But we do receive tithes. You understand there's a difference in taking something from somebody and there's a difference in receiving the tithes of the people. Listen to me. One is law. The other is grace. Grace receives. Salvation is received. Okay? So, one is law. One is spirit. Or one is law, one is grace, one is flesh, one is spirit. We're encouraged, it says in this passage, to sow to the spirit. And out of sowing to the spirit, you reap everlasting life or life everlasting. As I said, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek after receiving bread and wine. And you know what happened when Abraham began to tithe, don't you? This makes some people mad when I say it. God made him rich. Yeah, God made him rich. Somebody said, Are you one of those preachers that believe that if you serve God, he's going to bless you and prosper you and take care of you and make you rich? I'm sure not a preacher who's going to preach that he hates you and curses you and makes you poor. Absolutely, I believe. God wants you blessed coming in, going out, everything you do. Why? Because when you're blessed, you can be a blessing. You can't be a blessing if you aren't blessed. Now our focus here today as New Testament priests should be to bring forth bread and wine. And Jesus described the bread as his body this body that was broken for you. And he described bread that way, that was broken for us. And the wine is the New Testament of his blood, the covenant of his blood. So the first thing I want you to see in this is simply when Jesus did what he did and we preach what Jesus did. In other words, when we preach the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ, we are preaching New Testament gospel. And when you preach the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, then you have a right to receive tithes of the people. Notice I said receive the tithes of the people. The next thing That's in this passage and I'm saying that because I'm just saying to you you're going to reap what you sow. It's amazing to me. If you don't think that the word of God and the man of God teaching the word of God has any value it's amazing that I can preach things. Some people walk away with stuff and some people walk away never getting a thing. But it has to do with what you put in it that you take out. It has to do with what you reap from what you sow in somebody's life or in the ministry or in a church and what's going on there. But that's the first thing and I'm Finish with that aspect, but here's where I want to really go today. The next thing that's in this sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the flesh, reaping from the flesh, and reaping from the Spirit is the first Adam sowed to the flesh. And for 4,000 years, we reaped corruption. That was a result of what Adam sowed. If you remember last week, we had the chart A was Adam in the garden. B was when he fell. He brought us into a condition and brought a condition into the world called corruption, sin. The earth was corrupted. Jesus came and he reversed that curse and he took us back up and put us on uh, the place where we're supposed to be at D, going to Z, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Adam sowed to the flesh... And we reaped corruption. The last Adam, who was Jesus, sowed to the Spirit. When Jesus sowed to the Spirit, he took what I had coming to me and received it into his body so that I could receive what he has coming to him. Think about this for a moment. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus received my sins, your sins, so that we could receive what was coming to Him. Now according to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, What I had coming to me for being born in sin was wounding, bruising, chastisements, judgments, and corruption. But Jesus bore all of that for me on the tree. Now you all understand when I say for me, I'm not separating me for you, it's us. Y'all understand that. He bore all of our sin, sickness, disease, poverty, chastisement, bruising, judgment, and corruption. He bore it all, and He took all of that to the tree, to the cross with Him. Isaiah 53, let's just read through this. It's going to be on the screen. Beginning at verse 4, it says, Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Watch this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Now listen to me. The first man, Adam, sowed to the flesh and we reaped corruption. The last Adam, the second man, if I could say it that way, the Lord from heaven sowed to the Spirit. Now you and I reap life everlasting. If I could say it like this, he took my sickness so that I could have his health. He took my death So that I could have his life. He became poor so that I could become rich. He was chastised so that I could have peace. He took my grief so that I could be comforted. According to verse 11, if you would put that verse back up there, according to verse 11... God was so satisfied in the travail of his soul and all that he accomplished on the cross that by the knowledge of what this righteous righteous servant had accomplished in bearing iniquities, he would justify many. It says, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by righteous servant shall justify many. Now, he was delivered... to the cross for our offenses. It was our sin that crucified Jesus. Do you realize that? He was crucified for our offenses and he was raised from the dead for our justification. You've heard me say this many times. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. So this scripture here in Galatians that I'm using as a text this morning It says, be not deceived, God is not mocked for what ever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So listen to what I'm saying to you. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever Jesus sowed, that is what he's going to reap. Listen carefully to what I'm trying to say to you. Reaping what Jesus sowed is not negative, it's positive. See, we've used this passage of Scripture. When somebody does something we don't think they should, we say, you better be careful, you're going to reap what you sow. When we ought to be saying... You know what Jesus did for you? You're going to reap what he sowed. When you follow the Spirit, when you're led by the Spirit, when you walk in the Spirit, you're walking by what Jesus sowed for you. See, here's what most of us understand. According to Ephesians, the first chapter, we are his inheritance. We are his inheritance. I can see by your great joy that most of you aren't getting this. But just hang in. You'll get it before I'm done. Look at this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Let me ask you all a question. You all think God's pretty smart. I'm not getting ready to talk to you about your knowledge and how smart you are. I'm getting ready to talk to you about his knowledge and how smart he is. You cast down thoughts, you cast down imaginations, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. See, we go around and we say, well, I'm just a human. Really? Is that all you are? You are a human being born of the Spirit of God. The very third person of the Godhead lives on the inside of you. You have divine nature operating inside of you. And you just say, well, I'm just human. No, I'm human as God intended, but I'm a lot more than you realize I am. Watch this. Casting down thoughts and arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience to Christ. Everybody look at me. The title of my sermon today is The Obedience of Christ. I'm not supposed to think about my inadequacies and my shortcomings and my humanity, I'm supposed to cast down anything that's against the knowledge of God and think about what is in obedience to Christ. I just read you some stuff that Christ did for you from the book of Isaiah. His obedience to become poor, His obedience to become poor made me rich. His obedience to take stripes on his back for my healing brings me healing. His obedience to become sin made me righteous. There's so many things here. Now watch. Could it be? Everybody say, could it be? Could it be that we've allowed our imagination and our thoughts... To be captivated by Adam's disobedience, and we've been so focused on Adam's disobedience that we've never really focused on Christ's obedience. See, we get mad at what Adam did. We're so focused on what Adam did, who we are in a flesh, who we are in Adam. I can tell you all the stuff that what Adam did produced, it produced some pretty corrupt stuff. Did it not? Let me ask you a question. What did the obedience of Christ produce? Christ's obedience produced some things. Let me show you something here. We're in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Let's back up to 2 Corinthians 10, 4. And read what it says. In 2 Corinthians 10.4 it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This is going to be too simple for some of you, but our only real fight in the New Testament is our fight of faith. The real bottom line, I tried to preach this last week. The real bottom line is, are you going to believe that Jesus did it or he didn't? That's really what we're fighting about. I'm not fighting the devil. Why? Do, do, do you all know who defeated the devil? Who did? Huh? Who, who conquered the devil? What do, do you believe he conquered the devil? So every time the devil's trying to do something to you, you ought to be thinking, "You little scoundrel, you, your butt's already been kicked." That's New King James Version language. <laughs> oh, uh, the regular King James uses some pretty rough language. Now listen to me. We're in a fight to believe is what Jesus did really enough let me ask you Sam do you you believe that what Jesus did was enough to take care of you, your family your life, everything you had Bill, Bill do you believe that what Jesus did was enough how about you Andrew John do you believe it I know Louie does. I ain't going to ask him. <laughs> Do we really believe that what Jesus did was in us? Now, if I could just say to you, strongholds that he's talking about here, if you study this, are not necessarily demonic Powers. They can be, but they're not necessarily. But they're principles that become principalities or a part of our belief system. We develop a belief system after we become believers where we begin to believe that Satan has certain power to do certain things and that God has certain power to do certain things and these principles that we learn, if we don't learn the principles of the Word of God and instill the principles of God's Word in training up a child in the way he should go, I want to train up some children today who understand that the Word of God is alive and that the Word of God lives in them. I want to train up children who really believe and understand and comprehend that the Holy Spirit the third person of the Godhead wants to walk with them, talk with them, be with them, that they can be absolute overcomers of everything that comes against them. They do not have to bow to sin. They do not have to bow to sickness. They do not have to bow to disease. I'm just telling you, I want to raise up a group of kids who believe what we say we believe. Here's my message this morning. My thoughts should be, what did the obedience of Christ produce? Do do you understand you and I are saved, born again, spirit-filled today because Christ came and was obedient to death? Y'all realize that? So we should be thinking, what did Christ's obedience produce? When my thoughts are about what the obedience of Christ produce, what begins to happen is when I begin to believe that Jesus did some things... And out of his obedience and because of the things that he did, when I begin to believe those things and trust in those things and think on those things, it casts down strongholds and every imagination that lifts itself against what God already knows. God already knows you're healed. God already knows you're saved. God already knows you're delivered. He already knows. He already knows your future. Do you know how much time we spend in fear of what the devil might do? Well, you just never know what he's going to do. We're not supposed to think about those things. When we begin to put our mind. And we begin to think about what the obedience of Christ produced. Imaginations, all these other things begin to get cast down. Now, let me just read you a passage of Scripture from the Message Bible. And I want you to just hear what it says. In the book of Romans... Chapter 5, beginning at verse 18, it says, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. Are you thinking about what got you in trouble or are you thinking about him who got you out of it? But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce... More lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Wow. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Chapter 6, verse 1. So, what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went into the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Isn't that good? We don't live in sin any longer. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are saints of God. The New Testament books of the Bible were written to saints. Not because they lived so good. They were written to saints because of what Jesus did. Because of Jesus' obedience, he made you and I righteous saints of God. So watch. Our thoughts... have been brought into the captivity of Adam. The result was warfare, turmoil, and death. Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden caused the ground to be cursed. But obedience of Christ the obedience of Christ in another garden when he prayed until his sweat became great drops of blood that redeemed man from the curse of sweat and labor. In other words, we no longer have to earn favor with God because of works, it comes by grace. Because of Adam's disobedience, the earth brought forth thorns and thistles. You know what Jesus did? He took a crown of those thorns that were meant for us, put it on his head so that we wouldn't have to deal with wrong thoughts, mental illness, or anything else. He took those thorns and thistles that Adam, and you need to quit thinking about what Adam did and start thinking about what Jesus did. Jesus just let him crown him with those thorns. Because of Christ's obedience, he wore a crown of thorns to redeem us from torment and pricking thoughts and mental illness. Adam's disobedience brought a sentence of death on us. The obedience of Christ brought the resurrection life to us. Adam's disobedience brought sickness. Jesus' obedience to stripes brought healing to us. Adam's disobedience to, po- to, to uh, disobedience brought poverty. Jesus' obedience, He became poor that we might become rich. Adam's disobedience brought condemnation. Christ's obedience brought justification. Adam's disobedience brought separation. Christ's obedience brought reconciliation. Adam's disobedience brought turmoil. Christ's obedience brought rest. Adam's disobedience got him thrown out of the garden. Christ's obedience got us back into the garden. Just remember, just remember this the redemptive work of everything Christ did was a garden. He, listen to me, he done everything he did in a garden. He was the incorruptible seed that was planted in a new garden to present a different kind of crop. You know what the new crop was? A new creation. You saw the first creation, what Adam did to the first creation, but let me show you the new creation. It's a new creature in Christ Jesus, which you and I are, and it's a, it's a whole new thing. It was no mistake, it was no mistake... When Jesus on the cross looked at the thief and said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know what the Greek word paradise means? Eden or garden. He wasn't talking about heaven. He said, Today you're going to be with me in a brand new kingdom. You're going to be with me in a garden that I intended you to be in. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God as a result of obedience to Christ is everlasting life. I've said all this to say, don't put your thoughts into Adam's disobedience. Do you realize that because because of Christ's obedience, not because of how good I am or how much I prayed or how much I give or how much I do, because of Christ's obedience, I can look at you and say, Inez, you're going to be blessed in everything you do, things that the weapons that the enemy forms to get you they can't prosper they can't do anything God's going to take care of you and provide for you and take care not because you did it right or you've got the knowledge or anything you do but because of the obedience of Christ he paid it all I have the right And the privilege because of Christ's obedience, to look at that man trying to get up and walk and say, walk and run in Jesus' name. Be whole, be healed. Not because I'm good or you good, because of the obedience of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin he who was not sick a day in his life took stripes why do you think they beat him with a cat of nine tails not so that when we get to heaven so that you and I can claim and declare by his stripes I am healed be healed in Jesus name Behold, in the name of Jesus. Either you think about that or you spend all your time thinking about wonder what the devil's going to do. Well, I'm going to tell you what the devil's going to do. The devil's going to play a game with you that doesn't encourage you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You hear me? I had another funeral this week. Don't take this wrong, but you know, we're in ministry. My dad's 91 and had so many funerals lately. He started calling me burying Sam. But you know what? I know when I do a funeral because Christ's obedience, I'm not saying bye-bye so long forever it's I'll see you in a few days not because of my obedience because of his obedience while I'm back here I just want to speak life into this body and health into this body in the name of Jesus life and health in the name of Jesus pastor why do you do that it ain't about me it ain't really about you other than you listen to me you've got to receive what he's done he said my peace i give to you not as the world gives you i'll give you peace peace that passes understanding We got some healers around here. We got some healers around here. Amen. We got some people around here who are going to start thinking about what Christ's obedience has done for us. Yeah. We're going to think about Andrew and I, Judy and I, talking about doing service in January, where we just pray and create an environment where you come in, and start thinking God's thoughts, and say, "Let me think what Jesus thinks. Let me wonder what, what, wonder what the knowledge of God says. The knowledge of God says you are healed, you are whole, you are saved. And I gotta, I gotta start thinking on that. And some of you, here's what you need to start saying every time you get a wrong thought." Shut up, Adam! It's amazing to me how many Christians can tell you what the devil's saying to them but don't know one word God's saying. Tell you the devil's been on me, the devil's been talking to me, I just hear the devil, and that's all they talk about. You know, and I know you all know it, but I still like to say it, the lady stood up, the devil's been on my back all week, praise his good name. Think about Christ's obedience and what it has done for you. Let's stand. I don't want to conform to this world's way of thinking. I want this is what I preached last week I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and I asked God last week Lord how do I renew my mind and what do you think he begins to say here's what it is you got to think of what Christ's obedience was and think about what he did obedience to Christ say this with me if you would right now dear Lord I thank you that I need Your word alive in me. Therefore, I begin this moment. Even though I've tried, this moment, I begin a new journey. It's a new day. I want to think what you think. I want to know what you know. I believe Jesus Paid it all. I believe it's a finished work. I'm a new creation. People like me never existed till the Holy Spirit started taking up residence inside individuals. So today I'm a new creature. I belong to God. I have the mind of Christ. Help me Lord to think his thoughts to believe his word and to speak his thoughts and to speak his words and not be worried what people think, what people say. I know there's the possibility, though it's highly unlikely that I might not say everything perfect, but I will correct myself as I understand. I desire to be obedient to everything Christ was obedient to. I will be like him in every way of my life and in my thinking. I declare this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Woo! You know, we ought to get excited. The obedience of Christ is what we're going to think about. Quit thinking about bad things. And start thinking about what he has done for us. And start telling people what he's done for us. Just tell people. What he's done. He was the obedient son. Aren't you glad you got a brother that's obedient? Amen? Amen. Frank, you go home and lay hands on Patty today. You hear me? Just go home and lay hands on her. Pray for her. Don't think about whether you can do it or not. Or whether you're worthy to do it. Jesus did it for you. Just start doing it. Some of y'all are going to be shocked when God heals some of your people. Amen? Amen. I love you. God bless you. Communion's here. Elements are here. Thank you, Lord, for this great body that I pastor, that you've sent our way. Thank you for our great kids, and thank you for this holiday season and all that we've been able to do. Thank you for all the kids we've ministered to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say this before you go. I've never, every year when we have the Foster Kids Dinner, I've never been around a group of kids that are more thankful and more grateful than those little kids are. They're so appreciative of what we do for them, and I can't thank you enough. We we, 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 we were able to bless them royally, and I am grateful and thankful to you, this body, for what you're doing and what you have done. Just remember, we receive your tithes. We don't take them. We receive them. When you give them here, when I receive your tithes, I want you to understand, Hebrew says, there he receives them. I don't take it as something light. I say, God, I'm handling your money. What do you want to do? And he wants us to be a blessing. Do you understand that? All right. Be nice to somebody. You're dismissed. Thanks.